This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. I had occasion to speak to the College of Complex in Dallas last Thursday, and I will speak to another forum, a similar forum, in Chicago on this coming Saturday. My topic, labor behind us, ahead of us, and now, starting with the way things are right now. I think that we've seen a lot of exciting news, uh, some organizing at Starbucks, some organizing at Amazon, some real breakthroughs. A lot of people are getting organized that one would never have thought they would be even organizable. Even more importantly, we're seeing unprecedented solidarity. We're seeing a lot of unions helping each other. But much more than that, we're seeing the general public backing the unions. That kind of solidarity, in my opinion, is probably unprecedented in all of American history. We had a picnic in Dallas for May 1st, International Workers' Day. It was only our second try at having a picnic because, for the most part, Americans have not celebrated what happened at Haymarket Square in 1886, whereas the rest of the world does celebrate. And I understand that all over the world there were marches, protests, strikes, and other activities of importance. Ours was pretty good. I sang and I also emceed the whole thing. And with Linda Coleman and James Kelly, we have a little trio that leads the sing-alongs. And we sang union songs. We also had a professional band that was, that was really very, very good. But they didn't know any union songs, so we were providing a little union background and a little union history. It really looked good. We had 30 co-sponsors this year. That's really outstanding for Dallas. But don't get carried away in thinking that unions are doing so much better than before. The truth is that total union membership has continued its decline this year. The latest announcement that I saw was that 10.3% of working Americans were lucky enough to have a union. The other 90% do not have a union. This rate has been falling since the 1950s when it was 35%. We had 35% of the workforce organized in the 1950s, and it's fallen steadily ever since then. Also, the bad news about some of the really romantic breakthroughs at Starbucks and Amazon and other places is this. It is easier to organize a union than it is to get a first contract. And most of those guys do not have a first contract yet. It's going to be hard for them to do that. There's a whole lot of legal entanglements that companies can do, and it may be dragged out for years. Meantime, we have momentum, and we have more solidarity than ever before. That's the situation that we're in today. Now let's look back into the old days to see how we got to where we are now. For most of human history, the work was done by slaves. All the world's wealth was created 
by workers. All the buildings that got built, all the railroads that are running, all the light bulbs that got made, all the radios that are broadcasting, everything was made by working people. But we may have been the ones who made it, but it wasn't for us. We were always working for someone else's benefit, and we still do. We're piling up gigantic amounts of money for the billionaire class today. We worked our way out of slavery up to serfdom, which was better. And then beyond serfdom, we became what they now call free labor. It's not very free, but it's freer than serfdom or slavery. And they call it free labor because a person has the right under law to quit their job if they want to. It's like, it's like saying you have the right to starve if you want to because you can quit your job. And in fact, over this past year, an awful lot of people have been quitting their jobs because they saw a chance to get better ones. Let's skip up in our little review of labor history. Let's skip up to 1886 when International Workers' Day first began. It was centered in Chicago. They decided a year or two earlier that they were going to strike for the eight-hour day. Back at that time, most people worked 12 or 14 hours a day. A few people had the 10-hour day. Most of them were government workers. So on May the 1st, 1886, there were strikes all over the world, including here in Texas. And there were protest rallies everywhere. The center was in Chicago. There were a couple of Texans involved, Lucy and Albert Parsons, who had moved to Chicago from the Waco area. On May the 2nd, the second day of the strike, the police shot down some strikers at the McCormick Works in Chicago. So a protest was held for May the 4th in the place where they sold hay. They called it Haymarket Square. They had a wagon. They, the speakers climbed up on the wagon and spoke from there. Nowadays, of course, we usually speak from the back of a pickup truck. But in those days, they stood on a wagon. The meeting went very well. The mayor was there. The police didn't do anything bad. But the meeting went on. When it started to get close to dark, the mayor left. As it got dark, the meeting was still going on, and the police decided to attack. When they did, somebody threw a bomb. The employers in Chicago reacted by arresting all the leaders of the eight-hour day movement, and they put them on trial for murder. They made no attempt at all to charge them with having thrown a bomb or with having had anything to do with the bomb. Of the eight leaders that were arrested, only two of them were even in the Haymarket Square when the bomb went off. While they were in jail, one of the union leaders had his head blown off. Police said that he had committed suicide. After a flagrantly adjust trial, three of the leaders went to prison, and the last four were hanged November the 4th, 1887. At a subsequent worldwide meeting, May 1st was declared International Workers' Day in honor of the Haymarket Martyrs. 
Since that time, workers all over the world have commemorated May the 1st and continue to fight for shorter hours and other workers' rights. They didn't usually demonstrate in America because the repression was so bad that people didn't even want to mention unions. And the American labor movement went into a very narrow channel where it stayed basically until 1935. We never did get the eight-hour day, by the way. The closest that we ever got to it was the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, which mandated overtime pay, time and a half overtime, for most workers if they worked more than 40 hours in a week. We didn't even get it for all workers because of the Southern Democrats who wanted to make sure that the agricultural workers and the people that were doing their domestic work and food service did not get overtime pay. So they didn't get it, but most workers in America did start getting overtime pay if they worked more than 40 hours in a week. And that is the only legal protection we have from just from uh, the bosses just being able to work us from can't see to can't see 12 or 14 hours the way they used to. I want to point out, though, that we did not fail in getting the eight-hour day. We didn't do anything wrong. Or if we did do something wrong, it wasn't decisive. We were beaten. We were defeated. Not by something we did, but by those who oppose us. And the ones who oppose us are the people that we've been working for all this time. The one who have been benefiting from our labor throughout history. After the Haymarket incident, anti-union repression drove the unions into a narrow channel. And most unionists from 1886 up to 1935 were only white, English-speaking, skilled, highly skilled workers who made the highest level of pay. There were attempts to change it. The Industrial Workers of the World, for example, a very romantic period in American labor history. They tried to organize everybody, but government repression defeated them, too. After 1935, the Congress of Industrial Organizations started trying to organize everybody. And the American Federation of Labor learned their lesson, and they started trying to organize everybody. So from 1936 to 1946 was a great time for organizing. Many progressives were in the labor movement, especially because of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was extremely popular because they didn't have a depression and the rest of the world did. So a lot of working people were looking to the Soviet Union and they were trying to change America, especially by working in the unions. And I also want to say one more thing about the period 1936 to 1946. That is the only period that really stands out as the time when inequality was abated. Inequality did not get worse from 1936 to 1946. The reason? Because working people were strong. In 1947, unfortunately, the American government came down hard on labor, and again, we were driven backwards. 
progressives were driven out and business union opportunists were left in charge of the American unions. Business unionism means basically that the unions believe that they are a business and that they are just like the bosses and that they can work with the bosses and all of us can just be friends. They no longer have an adversarial approach to dealing with the bosses. And that's the way it was in America pretty much until 1995. There were, of course, some efforts in the other direction. Jobs with Justice was created in 1987 by five of the most progressive unions, and they tried to build solidarity, and they tried to build up the adversarial relationship to the bosses, tried to get some fighting spirit back into the union movement, and tried to get a, an alliance with all progressive forces from churches, civil rights, and other types of organizations. But in 1995, the AFL-CIO leadership changed in a progressive direction. They removed their anti-communist ban in 1997 and stopped trying to throw communists out of the labor movement. In 1999, they did that same thing with immigrants. Instead of saying, as they had for 100 years, that all immigrants should be deported, they started saying, we can't deport everybody. We're going to have to try to organize them. So in 1999, they started trying to organize immigrant labor, and that is what brought us to today, to the period I was talking about in which we celebrated May the 1st, 2022. Now, what will happen in the future? This, of course, is speculation. I say that the workers' struggle will continue until it is resolved by an ultimate victory. Eventually, working people must triumph over the bosses. The only other choice is world devastation. If we don't do something, in other words, we're going to strangle on the air. We're going to be poisoned by the water. We're going to be killed in one war after another one, or a nuclear conflagration, or climate warming is going to continue until our planet becomes uninhabitable. I realize that. I realize that most thinking people also realize it. And I think what's going on today is a lot of people are trying to figure out what are we going to do about it? How are we going to solve this? How are we going to get a different world, a better world? There are several theories floating around as to how we might get a better world. I want to point out, though, that there is no argument as to whether or not we need a better world. We are only arguing about how to do it. So here's one theory. I, I, I attended a very good lecture by a guy named Joe Burns. He's an author. His latest book is called Class Struggle Unionism. He believes that the unions should start acting the way they did, say, in 1935. And if the law gets in the way, they should just break the law. Because if we started acting the way we were doing in 1935, we'd start having those great organizing gains again and we'd be able to change the world. Some people believe that electoral work alone will eventually emancipate labor. It's never been done, 
but it's you know it remains a possibility and some people think that's the main thing that can happen a few people think that armed struggle is going to bring about a better world and that working people can actually pick up whatever little 22 rifles they have and stand up to the tanks and the nuclear bombs that the government has. But I don't think any of those is, is likely to work, although I think they're just fine if they would. I think that labor's main strength is in concerted action. And I think most people are going to come to that same realization. Usually when we think of concerted action, we think of a strike, but it could be something else. It could be a slowdown. It could be a boycott. It could be a one-day strike or a one-day uh, event of some kind. If we were able to work together, we could get whatever we want. We're a long way from being completely together, but in my opinion, there is a convergence underway and that that will eventually result and work in victory for working people. It would require strong organizations based on working families. So that's why I do what I do. I build unions, progressive organizations, civil rights organizations, anything based on working families, because I believe that that is the future. That is the way we're going to get victory, ultimate victory, and a better world. I think more people are realizing that all the time, and that's why I'm very, very hopeful about the future. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.